Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I, guys, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for Christmas. Um, how many of you, so just to get you warmed up this morning, um, first of all, my name is Luke. Uh, I get to be one of the pastors on staff here, so yeah, um, that's me. Uh, how many of you have your Christmas trees up? I mean, Thanksgiving, hey, there we go. Yeah, we got, I see that hand. Um, amen, we're in good company here. Um, festive, jolly. Uh, I, I, I love this season. I love Christmas. I love um, my, my kids. I think they're, they're starting to, I feel like I'm starting to get to that age where my kids are humoring me. I mean, I, feel, I still feel like I'm a little young for that, but it feels like it's, I'm getting there where they're, you know, like each ornament is like, oh, this, you know, and they're like, put it on the tree. What's going on? Um, but but I, I love this season. And this morning, as we, as we enter this time of Advent, that's what just happened. This is the Advent wreath. If you're not familiar with, with church, haven't, haven't been in church, uh, this is a tradition that we do. And the time of Advent is this time of waiting, this time of anticipation. And each week represents kind of a different aspect of this, of this idea of waiting. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're looking at uh, this idea of hope. Hope in the waiting. And, and hope, um, when I say hope, when you, when you read that word, what are some things that come to mind for you? Like if somebody was to say, hey, tell me what hope is. What is, what is hope? There's no wrong answers. <laughs> Anticipation. The thing without feathers. Oh, it's a quote. I've never heard that before. The thing without feathers. Emily Dickinson. Oh, Woody Allen and Emily Dickinson. So, yeah, I'm, I'll have to look that up. The Thing Without Feathers. Anticipation. Believing promises. Yeah, I, it's, it's so, uh, the, for me, as I was thinking about hope, it was, it was really an interesting exercise trying to figure out, like, what is hope? Because sometimes, you ever have those things where you try and define the word by using the word? Right? Like, well, what is hope? Hope's the thing that you do when you hope that something happens. Like, well, that doesn't really work, right? Because you can't use the word in the definition of the word. And as I, was, as I was looking at this over the past few weeks, one of the things that was helpful for me was this definition that says, hope is the active anticipation of an outcome. It's the active anticipation of an outcome. Hope. This morning, as we, as we think about hope, it's, it's interesting because like the biblical idea of hope, this, the word that's often translated for hope, it can be translated a couple different ways in the Bible. And one of those words is the word kava. Um, and and as, as I learned over the, these past few weeks, kava, the, the word kav, is actually a word for cord. And it, it kind of, it's this idea of a cord being stretched tight. And if you've ever, if you've ever like, ha, like worked out with those resistance bands or ever had a sibling who liked to snap you with uh, rubber bands or, or, you know, what, you know, like you take the rubber band, you snap it on, have you ever done that? Of course, nobody in here. Oh, yes, one person. We'll pray for you. Um, but, but you kind of, you have those, those, those cords, they're stretched tight, and in the tightness, there's a tension. 
right? I mean, you can even see my face just did it. Like, I didn't even try. It's like there's a tension. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen here, right? This thing could break. This could hurt. I don't know what's going to happen. And when the tension is released, it's kavah. It's hope. It's this active anticipation. And yet what, we, what I want to, to present to you this morning as we think about what hope is, I think lots of times, as Craig said last week when we're talking about joy, joy can be something that we fear. We, we enter into the cynicism because we don't want to get too joyful. And I think the same could be said for hope. My wife and I were talking about this last night. And hope can be something that we fear a lot because it's like, I don't want to get too hopeful. I don't want to think too much. Brene Brown is an author that I appreciate. And she says, it's easier to live disappointed than to be disappointed. It's easier to live disappointed than to be disappointed. It's easier to to not hope for things. It's easier to not not expect anything. It's easier to live in that realm, in that headspace, than to hope and be disappointed. And yet, I think the reason we get this uh, so kind of cattywampus or mixed up is because oftentimes we hope in situations. We put hope in situations or we put hope in outcomes, right? And yet what we see in the Bible, and actually this is what the kind of the big idea I want us to walk away with, is that biblical hope, this active anticipation, biblical hope is grounded in a person, not an outcome. Biblical hope is grounded in the person of God. See the, see the difference. The difference is when we, when we think about an outcome, oftentimes that can lead us to be like, um, like, you know, like a thing called like bright siding or toxic joy where it's like, okay, let's just not look over there. Right. Or, or things really aren't that bad. Or, or it's like when, when you, you hit your thumb with a hammer, what do you do? Like, what do you tend to do? Yeah, yeah. Ah! <laughs> Pretend it didn't happen, right? I, I can imagine there's times where I've hit my hand with it and it's like, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's like, what? Well, let me look at it. No, don't. You can't look at it because if you look at it, then it's real and you got to do something and let's just keep it. Right? That's, that's kind of bright sighting. Things aren't really that bad. It's not, it's, it's okay. I, I, uh, my wife and I were watching this show where this woman was getting married and she was talking about how sad it was that her parents had passed away and they, they weren't there to enjoy this day with her. And it was so interesting because so many of the people around her were so quick to be like, well, they're here. It's fine. They're here. You know, they're, they're, and it's, it's like, it was so interesting watching her because it's like, that's not what she needed in that moment. What she needed was to be able to say, yeah, this is hard. See, see, hope, when it's grounded in a person, doesn't, doesn't negate the hard, but it leaves room for the possibilities, right? See, hope grounded in the person of God. Here, here's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at scripture. There's three things we're going to look at. What, is it, what does it look like to have this kind of hope, to adopt this kind of hope? And, and I'll give them to you right, uh, right out the gate, okay? The first thing that we see, that we're going to see this morning, is that hope grounded in the person of God is not sidetracked by situations. Okay, hope grounded in the person of God is not sidetracked by situations. Second thing we're going to see is that hope grounded in the person of God directs action. It directs action. And the last thing that we're going to see is that hope grounded in the person of God looks back in order to move forward. 
So if you would, if you would stand with me, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can take this Bible out from under the seat, uh, seat back in front of you, and it's going to be page 1561. 1561 is where we're going to start. Um, and it's Luke, again, Luke chapter 2, starting verse 25. Luke chapter 2, sorry, verse 25, page 1561. Just waiting to see if there's any more pages rattling. All right. Here we go. Starting at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will, will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your willingness to enter into this space with us. God, I, I know that as we approach this topic of hope, there are many coming from all different backgrounds and all different situations and God, this, is, this can be just a a hard topic. But God, I pray that you would just, as the comforter that you are, I pray that you would bring peace into this place. Holy Spirit, move. Help us to, to hear you and receive whatever it is you have for us. It's in your name. Amen. Man, you may be seated. As we think about, again, as we think about this hope, again, the biblical hope is grounded in the person of God. Biblical hope is grounded in the person of God. And again, this is different than hope in our outcomes, hope in our situations. All right, as, as we look at these two characters in the Christmas story, uh, we're, I just, again, I, I just want to look at these three things because I think that when we, when we talk about, okay, well, what does that look like? How do, how do we engage with that? What does that look like for life? The, the first thing that we see in this is that this kind of hope... Hope that's grounded in the person of God is not sidetracked by situations. I mean, we see two people in this, in, in what we just read, we see two people, the first of which, Simeon, he's, he's waiting for what? What did it say? He's waiting for the 
consolation of Israel. That word consolation, it literally means to be consoled or it means to come alongside. Uh, Anna, the, the prophetess, some, some uh, translations say, call her the prophetess. Uh, she, we see that her situation is really an interesting one because she was married for how long? Seven years. And then she has lived for how long without, without her husband? What does it say? 84 years? And, and some, some people are trying to figure out, does this mean that she's 84 years old? Or it means that she's lived for 84 years in this position of widow. We don't, we don't completely know for sure. It could go, could go either way. Either way, we know that's a long time, right? I'm not good at math, but that's a long time. It's, it's interesting because if we look at both of these people, I mean, look at Anna. For women in this culture, women in this culture didn't have, especially in this time period, didn't have many rights. I mean, there were Old Testament laws to, to care for widows and orphans. And yet we know that many of these Old Testament laws had been warped by the time that Jesus came on the scene. We know that things were not the way they were meant to be. And for women in this culture, they had no security if they didn't have a husband. If, if they didn't have a husband, if they didn't have kids, kids were kind of the, the retirement package, for, uh, especially for women in this culture. If you didn't have a kid, then you were, you were kind of out. And yet for, for years and years, she's living this existence. We can kind of assume she's living this existence that she didn't necessarily want nor expect. See, she's, she's waiting for the consolation of Israel. It says when, when she met Jesus, when she saw Jesus, she goes around and she's talking to people and she's proclaiming what she saw to those looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It's the same kind of concept. It's the, it's the con, uh, consolation, this, this comforting. See, have you ever been in a situation where you needed consolation, where you needed consoling, you needed comforting? Have you ever been in that situation? I mean, just think about it. Think about where you were. Think about what you experienced. Think about the, the world around you, the, the things, the, the, the things, the actions, what, whatever it is, think about it. Think about what, where you were when you needed that consolation. I, I was thinking about an experience I had when I was in seventh grade. When I was a kid, I was pretty dramatic, or at least that's what I was told. I was pretty dramatic, and I was extremely, uh, I, what, oh man, I'm blanking on words right now. The, uh, I wanted to win. Competitive. Yeah, why did I forget that word? Competitive. I was super competitive and super dramatic, which made for an interesting combination at certain times in my life. I remember when in seventh grade, we were, we were in that academic bowl uh, competition. And we were, we were, we were like the, the final ones. We were in the final match. Whew. The tension, you could have cut it with a knife, right? The academic, you guys know what academic bowl is? If you don't know what academic bowl, it's where you sit at a table and you have buzzers and people ask you questions. You buzz in. You know, uh, what is the capital of Illinois? You know, or whatever. That's Jeopardy. But it, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's super, incredibly boring. Let's just be honest. Incredibly boring. And even as I think about this memory, I'm like, why was I an academic bull? I wasn't that smart. Wasn't that great of a student. Anyway, I was in an academic bull and I was in the championship. Whew. 
right? And I can remember it gets down to the wire and, and it, we lose. We, I mean, and it was, it was by a thin margin we lose. And I can remember being a seventh grader just distraught by this academic bowl loss. And I'm pretty sure, uh, and I'm pretty sure I like punched a locker and I'm like little, you know, like it did not dent that locker. Like I'm, I didn't grow till I got to college. I was littler than everybody in my class, including the girls. Like it was a rough upbringing, but I'm, I'm doing all right. But I, I mean, I was so distraught and I can remember my mom just kind of like, I'm, I can imagine she had this feeling of like, what? This is academic bowl. This is what's going, but you know, I can remember her coming alongside me, consoling me. It's going to be okay. There's going to be more academic bowls in the future. You'll be, you know, I, it's, it's just, I can just remember needing this consolation because my world just got rocked. What I had hoped would happen didn't happen. And there have been times, obviously, since then that I've needed consolation because of much bigger things. There's been sickness, job loss, pandemics. There have, been, there have been these things where it's like, man, our need for consolation is because our world is not the way it should be. Right? See, Simeon comes into this situation desiring the consolation of Israel because God's people were being oppressed. Things were not the way it was supposed to be. This is not what God had in mind for his people. And yet he's waiting for the consolation of Israel because he knows there's a promise that was made way back when and he knows the character of God. See, his, his situation did not sidetrack his hope. Anna's situation of being a widow for years and years and years and having an uncertain future did not sidetrack her hope. And yet oftentimes, especially when our hope is in an outcome, we can get so focused on where we're at right now, what's going on around us, and we forget that hope is not, it's not in this, it's in a person. It, if, if we could, can, can I get two volunteers? I'm going to Two volunteers. I'm not, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to read anything. You just have to stand up here. Can I get two volunteers? Two people who are brave. Anybody? Yes, Shane. Thank you so much. One more? Hey, there we go. All right, Amy. All right. Thank you, guys. Like I said, you don't have to say anything. You just have to stand up here. All right. So, uh, Shane, we're going to call you our situations. Okay? And... <laughs> You're already getting into it. All right, and Amy, we're going to call you the character of God. All right, now don't. Let's, right? Whoa, right. Whoa. I, see, when we think about hope, and when our hope is, is focused on a situation, lots of times, Shane, can you come over here? Lots of times what can happen is we have, turn towards me. We, we engage with these situations, right? We, we have sickness. We lose an academic bowl meet. We, what else? What, what are some other situations that we experience that can maybe rock us? Huh? Girlfriend breaks up with you, yeah. We get fired. Inf oh, infertility. Oh. Death of a loved one. Cancer. Oh. Divorce. Huh? Surgery? Yeah. See, we go through all these situations and what happens, what happens to us at times 
when, you know, where is, where is God's character in all of this? He's still there, right? He's still there, and yet the reality is the, the size, the scope of our situations, it's, we can't see anything about God, right? Because, because all we see is, oh, I just lost this relationship. I mean, the, the, the reality is this time of year can be really difficult for a lot of us, right? I mean, if you're anything like me, every time I take an ornament out of the box, I think about all the memories connected with that ornament. I think about, I think about who gave me that ornament. I think about where it came from. I think about what we were doing when we got that ornament. And I put it on the tree and for one more year, hold space and energy for all my memories. And for some of us, that is incredibly painful. Right? It, it feels like it's just there. It's all we can see. And yet when our hope is, when we flip the script and when we adopt a hope that's focused on a person, on a character. You see, now, like, Shane is a little bit bigger than Amy, right? <laughs> Just is. And yet the reality is, if you can turn towards me, when I focus on a person, right? When I focus on a person, our situations are still there. We're not bright-siding. We're not saying, oh, it's not that bad. We're not, we're not hiding our thumb. We're not, we're not saying it's not that bad. It's still there, and it is bad. It can be really bad, and it can be really hurtful. And yet the reality is, if we, if we can have hope in the person of God, then we see God in light of our situations, not our situations, not the other way around, right? I think I just messed that up, but you know what I'm saying. It's our focus. It changes things. Thank you guys so much. See, when we can have that kind of hope, it, it flips things around. Our, lots of times, again, our hope is more informed by our situation than it is by the person of God. And what I'm saying is we look at hope, biblical hope. It's, it's the opposite. Our hope, biblical hope, that is focused on the person of God, that's grounded in the person of God, is not sidetracked by our situations. The second thing that we see here is that it directs our actions. Hope that's grounded in the person of God directs our actions. I mean, Simeon goes, he's, he's long, and we don't know hardly anything about Simeon. We just know that he's righteous, which means he's living in right relationship with God, and he's devout. He's, that, that word I, I read somewhere where that word can also mean careful. It's like the, his steps are careful. It's, it's, he's living in light of the realities of God. We don't know much about him other than that. But also, I mean, what we know about Anna, in light of her situation, she's fasting, she's praying. It says that she's in the temple night and day. Most likely, uh, this doesn't mean she's living there, but it's like whenever the doors are open, she's there. She's longing to see the, the consummation of the promises of God. She's longing to see God work in her situation and in her reality. And that hope guides and directs, it leads Simeon to this place. See, and I think we can read scripture and we can kind of flatten it and be like, well, that's Simeon. I mean, it says that he was promised by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah, which means the sent one of God. You know, so, so he, you know, it was different for him. You see, the reality is, I, I think that is garbage. 
right? We have the promises of God, right? We have, the Bible says, we have the same spirit living and working in us that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. The, the reality, we have so much more than Simeon had in that moment, in our hands. And so as we think about how does that direct our actions then? Lots of times I, I think it can, it can almost be like my hope that I will remain fit well into the twilight years of my life. That hope doesn't really direct any action. It's almost like my hope that I will win the lottery. Do I buy lottery tickets? No, I don't buy lottery tickets. But how cool would it be if somebody called me up and said, Hey Luke, congratulations, you won the Powerball. Great, I didn't know, I, would, I had hoped. But I didn't, I didn't buy a ticket, so that's awesome. You know, it's like, like hunting season is now, right? Is that hunting season? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It shows what an awesome hunter I am. Growing up, I think my dad really wanted me to be a hunter because he would wake me up at ungodly hours and, and we'd put on our camouflage and our orange vests and we'd put on our car hearts and we'd go out. But it was, it was so interesting because we'd trudge, like we'd get our guns and we'd put them in the truck and then we'd drive through the, the pasture out into the timber. And he had this thing that he called a deer condo. And it was this big box that he had built and elevated on these stilts. And, and he puts a couple comfortable chairs in there. There's like an end table and a heater. And, and we'd, we'd wake up, put on our stuff, drive out into the timber, climb up into the deer condo, and take off our, because it got warm in there, and then go to sleep. I mean, that's what I did. I don't think he did that. But it's like, Luke, wake up so that you can go sleep with your gun out in the woods. Great. Like one year, one year, he literally dropped me off. It felt like a hundred miles from home. Like we woke me up in the middle of the night, felt like. Um, woke me up in the middle of the night. Like we're going to go hunting. Okay, yeah, great. Got my gun and we went out and, he, you know, we get to this timber, friends of ours. And, and, you know, he puts me in this tree row and, you know, we were hunting. And then he's like, okay, guess what? I got a surprise for you. I'm going to leave and you're going to stay here wait, what? Yeah, you get to skip school. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that part's great, but you're leaving me here? Like, he's like, yeah, just, just make your way back home and hunt. You can hunt the whole way. And I was like, I, I don't know where I am. Like, I, you know, it's like, I, I can remember, like, and it felt like it was a long ways from home. I'm sure it wasn't that long, but I, it felt like a long, and I, I can remember, like, finally finding the highway, and it's like, oh, I guess I'll just walk on the highway all the way home, and, you know, my dad gets home, did you see anything? Well, yeah, I saw, not, yeah, I saw cars, yeah. See, the, there's a difference between that and me hoping that maybe I'll, shoot a deer, which I'm like, Ugh, that's gross, because after you shoot it, then you have to field dress, and I'm just not that. Not that. I, I'll eat your deer jerky. Please. Just don't make me field dress it. All right. I, there's, there's a difference between that kind of hope and people who, like, their hope is just, it's different. They put deer pee on them, you know, like, things like that. They, like, have, have cameras where, where it's, like, the, you know, they, they track and, they, you know, there's a hope that directs their actions to do things that's incredible because there's, a, there's a, a security in their hope that I've never known when it comes to hunting. 
See, I think oftentimes when it comes to our spiritual reality, when we understand this kind of hope, hope that is grounded in the person of God that directs our actions, we begin to realize that God is at work in the everyday. God is at work in the mundane. God is at work. God is at work when you go to Walmart on Black Friday to buy your $4 DVDs, right? God is at work. Amen? Does God work at Walmart? You bet he does, right? Some people are like, Target, maybe, Walmart, I don't know. God is at work. I mean, we see this. I love when, when we look at Paul. Paul in, in Acts chapter 16. I think Paul is a great example of this. In Acts 16, Paul is trying to go to different places to preach the gospel. He's trying to go, uh, I believe it, he's trying to go to, into, into like China, into, into the east. Um, and and he's, he had planted some churches there. And he's trying to go back in and, and uh, preach the gospel. And yet it says that the spirit of Jesus kept him from going going. We don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But I, I know what I would do if I were Paul. You know, it's like, man, Paul had this incredible interaction with Jesus. He was, he's given this call in his life. But now, like, I don't know how many years later, he's, this is like the second missionary journey of Paul. So many years later, he's trying to go. He's trying to do what God says. And yet doors just keep shutting in his face. If it were me, I think I would be like, you know, I think I heard things wrong. I think I misheard. Let's, you know, let's go back home. Let's go back home to Jerusalem. Let's regroup, maybe resupply. And I got to figure some stuff out because I don't, I don't get this. Right? And yet what Paul actually did was it seems like he took a step. It's like, oh, not there. We can't go there. All right, but I, but I know who God is. So that's going to keep directing my actions. So I'm going to take, oh, not that step. And he keeps taking steps until he gets this call to go to this place called Macedonia where, where the, the church of Philippi is there, which we just spent a bunch of time, uh, the book of Philippians, where there's this incredible move of God that happens. And yet oftentimes, I don't know if that would have happened if Paul would have said, oh, I don't understand what's happening right now because these situations, these outcomes, I don't get it. So I'm just going to stop. See, his hope in the character and the person of God drove his action to say, okay, if it's not this step, I know it's another one. So I'm just going to keep taking steps. Because I know who God is. I know how he showed up in my life. And that is going to direct my actions. Amen? See, the, the third thing that we see here is not only does this kind of hope, not only is it not sidetracked by situations, not only does it direct our actions, but it looks back in order to move forward. It looks back in order to move forward. See, when, when we see Simeon's response to his interaction with Jesus, right, his, his prayer or his song, which is what it's called, his song is dripping with uh, fulfilled prophecy, I, let, me, let me read it for us again. Verse 29 says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Again, so much of what, what is happening here is based out of Isaiah and the Old Testament. That's the water they swam in. But this song, if we read like Isaiah 49 verse 6, it says, um, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is talking about the Messiah of God, the sent one of God. Uh, in Isaiah 58, 8, 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. There's, there's, there are so many promises when, when uh, Simeon interacts with Jesus. He's saying, this is what you promised. He's looking back. He's looking back at the character of God. See, it's, it's interesting to me when, when I read about neuroscience and uh, Jim Wilder and all these different things that we've been talking about, like the Joy Switch and these different books. Uh, one of the things that, that I've heard and learned about is our brain is a, it's, it's a pattern-building organism. It's a pattern-building organism. What I mean by that is, like, if you think about, if you think about like, maybe it's, maybe it's late at night. You're, you're laying in your bed. And, and you start to think about that leftover pumpkin pie in the refrigerator. And like, ooh, that pumpkin pie is good. And I don't think the kids ate all the Cool Whip, so mm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to go. So, so you get up, but you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, wake everybody up because then they might want pumpkin pie. You don't want to share that pumpkin pie, right? So, so you keep the lights off. And, and, you know, as you're walking through your living room, you're like, okay, I know the couch is here, so I'm going to move around that. And, okay, the end table is here. I'm gonna, okay, you, you, you know where things are. Right? Because your brain has created this pattern in your mind. Now what happens, what happens when like we just move things around to put up our Christmas tree? What happens when you're walking through the living room? Okay, the couch is here. I'm walking, oh, I forgot the table. Ah! You know, it's like, then you're screaming, everybody's up, they want your pie, right? The, but the, the reality is your brain is creating these patterns, but when those patterns get disrupted, it disrupts everything. And so what we do oftentimes in our life, if we have these experiences and we look back, but we look back to situations, we say, oh, I've been here before. I know what's going to happen if I engage this conversation. Like, like, there are some conversations that I, with loved ones, I, the way my brain kind of works and the way I avoid some situations, not in a healthy way, but just in a way, is that I, it's almost like a chess game. Like, okay, if I say this, and they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say that in response to that, and then they're going to say this, and then it's going to go here, and then, okay, I know where that's going to go, so I don't need to have that conversation. Easy peasy, right? See, our, our brains do this by looking back at our different situations, and yet what Simeon does, and what we see even with Anna, when they engage with the living God, they're looking back, but their, their, their brains are being formed by something different than just their situation. By Anna losing her husband, by the, the fact that the, the nation is not where it needs to be. Their brains are formed by the character of God shown throughout Scripture. And that's what we see all throughout the Bible, right? Uh, I was reading Deuteronomy in, the, in a lot of the beginning of Deuteronomy. It's Moses bringing the children of Israel, the, the children of the people who didn't go into the land. It's 40 years later. They're at the, at the border of the promised land. And Moses is saying, hey, come on, huddle up, huddle up to all the nation, you know. And huddle up, gather around, gather around. Okay, let's remember. Remember what God did in Egypt. Remember that? How cool is that? Remember the, remember the plagues? That was your God. You remember, you remember what he did with, with the Pharaoh? You remember when we didn't have, have straw to make bricks? What did God do? It, it, there's, there's all of these things and all throughout scripture, what God is asking his people to do is say, look back, remember. 
let your brains be transformed by my character so that we can move forward. See, what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy, he's, he's bringing them around and he's saying, those promises are yours. God's character can be trusted. So now what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're at the border of this promised land. What are we going to do? Can we go in? Yeah, I know there's big cities. I know they're fortified. I know there's, there's giants. I know it's so scary. Those are realities. And I'm not bright-siding any of that. Those are realities. And God can be trusted. See, hope that's grounded in the person of God looks back in order to say, I don't know what the future holds, but I know what God has done in my past. And so therefore, can we move forward into uncertainty? Yes. I heard a few whispers. We can move forward into uncertainty because we know who God is. See, as I was thinking about this, see, the the reality is uh, we're so tempted to live in a hope that's focused on situations and outcomes. And we can even think, well, it's like, man, I've prayed for people and they've still died. I was talking to Duff this morning and it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the tension, right? We pray for things to happen and we still get sick. Pray for things to happen and we still lose jobs. We pray for things to happen and those situations that are standing in front of us just seem to get bigger. And yet the reality is if we are able to, to surrender ourselves to God and adopt a situation where our hope is based in his character, not the situations, that changes things. I mean, what would it look like? What would it look like if we said, okay, this situation is really hard and yet my hope is in God? What would it look like if we said, okay, I know that God is at work in my everyday, so as I go to Walmart to pick up my on-sale DVD, I'm just going to be open and say, God, is there somebody here that you want me to talk to? So somebody here you want me to take that Christmas card to? Say, hey, you seem like you're kind of grumpy this morning. Come to church with us. Maybe not say it like that, but, but you know what I'm saying. Like, are, are there things where it says, okay, I, I know this action that I've been, I know I need to take, but I've, I've been nervous. I know this conversation that I needed to have, but I've been so nervous. I, I, I know that looking back, my brain has been formed by all these hard things that I've gone through. I, I love, um, have you guys heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Yeah, she's, she was a, a, the wife of Jim Elliot, who was one of five people who were uh, on this mission, missionary team. And they were, they were missionaries to South America. Um, I think this was back in the mid-60s, early 60s. Um, yeah. 50s, 50s, okay. Uh, there's a movie called End of the Spear, which is super great. Um, uh, or, or a book, if you'd rather read a book. Some of us are like that, but uh, through Gates of Splendor. But in, in this story, uh, uh, Jim Elliott, he kind of rallied his four friends together, and they found out, they went down to South America as missionaries because they were so bothered with the fact that God uh, isn't known among a lot of people groups in our world, right? And, and he goes, he takes all these people down to South America, and while they're there, they find another tribe of people who are, are extremely violent. And in this people group, there are different tribes, and these tribes are constantly at war. And what would happen is one tribe would raid another tribe, and they would kill some people. And so then that tribe would raid that tribe, and they would kill some people, and it just kept going. And Jim Elliott said, you know, I'm so concerned that these people are going to kill themselves off before they ever have a chance to hear about the incredible 
piece of the gospel. And so they started to make inroads into this culture and they had one really good interaction uh, by plane and then they're like, oh, that was positive. So then they, they landed on this beach and they interacted with these people and it went really well. Uh, and, and then the next day, these people were, the, the tribe, they were coming out of the woods and they were expecting, oh, it's going to be another uh, good interaction and those people speared them to death. Those five guys, five young men, Jim Elliott was 28 years old, died on a beach beside a river in South America, speared by the people that they went to, to preach to. Jim Elliott, 28 years old, died while his uh, infant daughter was back at home. His young wife was back at home waiting to hear. And yet, I mean, super tragic, terrible situation. And yet, fast forward just a little while later, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, I mean, definitely went through a time of mourning. I mean, this is terrible, terrible situation, not the life you would choose. And yet, she knew that God wanted to do something among that tribe of people. See, the tribe of people that they came and killed these guys, they went back and they were expecting the, the white people to come and, and take revenge. They were expecting something bad to happen. And when nothing bad happened, they were thinking, whoa, okay, wait a second, something's different here. And then uh, Elizabeth Elliot with, uh, with another woman uh, who was a sister of another guy who got killed, they actually went into the tribe and, and through a certain set of circumstances, they moved in with them, loved on them, showed them peace, gave them forgiveness, all of these different things. And, and I think they lived with them for a couple years until they saw that whole people group then come to to know Jesus and then that people group started to tell other people groups about Jesus. See, but the, the, the reality is that things like that, stories like that could never happen if, if hope is based in an outcome rather than a person. Elizabeth Elliot, she says this, this is one of her most favorite quotes, she said this, after experiencing all of this, after doing all that, she says, I have one desire now. To live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. See, as I, as I was reading that, I kept thinking, what could God do, Compass Church, with us here in Columbia, Missouri, if we had hope like this? Because that's the invitation. We are going to experience situations that are difficult and hard and heart-wrenching and, and earth-shaking. We're going to experience that. It's true. And yet the reality is as we engage with those situations, the character of God is unchanging and faithful. And when we experience that, when we say my hope is based and is grounded in the person of God, and when we allow that to direct actions, people are going to experience that. People are going to see us in a different way and wonder, okay, who's the God they serve? Because maybe I want to know about that. That's the invitation, Compass Church. That is my heart. That is my heart's desire that we as a congregation, as a people, would have hope like that that would transform not only us, but those around us. So would you pray with me as we ask God for that? God, we do, we ask for that. And I, and I recognize even as we, as we pray, God, this morning, God, I know that there are people here who have been shook. God, there are, there are people here um, 
Maybe even as, as we're sitting here together, as we're praying, maybe there are things coming up in them that says, I've, I've, I've put my hope in God before. Look where it got me. There, there are people here that when, when they put up their Christmas tree, it's, it's a thing of sorrow, not joy, because of loss, because of broken relationships. And God, it is hard to have hope in you when things are so hard. And we affirm that. And God, and we know that you are faithful. We know, God, that you are, you are loving. We know that we have promise after promise that says one day you will wipe away every tear from our eye. God, help us to experience you like that. We praise you, God. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com. 